Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. So our scripture reading today is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26, and it's on the service sheet, or you can look up in your Bible. It will also be on the screen. This is Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20, and he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thanks, Phil. And good morning, everyone. And Happy New Year to everybody. I trust that you successfully navigated another uh, pandemic Christmas and, uh, and you came out of it better for it, I'm sure, right? Well, so let me ask you here this morning, um, do you really mean that? Happy New Year. Do you want to be happy in 2022? Yeah, I know it's kind of a, kind of a dumb question, isn't it? Kind of silly question. Of, co- of course we want to be happy. The question really is for us this morning, and actually for every morning and for every day and for every year that we face, what makes me happy? What, what makes you happy? Jesus, how so? How do we put the happy in Happy New Year? I mean, you've probably uttered the words plenty of times, even this morning, and you probably will throughout this week. What are you wishing? What do we mean when we say Happy New Year? Well, it probably won't surprise you that indeed Jesus is the answer, but not just Jesus, but the words that he gives us. He had something to say about what makes humanity, what makes us happy. Um, And... uh, And in this passage that we we read, it forms the basis for what he thinks will make us happy. Okay, so you ready for for this list? Are you ready? Here are these four things. Poverty, hunger, weeping, and being hated. That can't be right. How many of you associate these things with being happy? (laughs) Somebody's brave in our midst. 
Well, my challenge and our challenge actually this morning and over this Sunday as well as the next two, this Sunday and next, we're going to consider these words of Jesus and what he meant by this. Um, It is, in fact, and that's why I'm calling this series Disturbed Resolutions, because these things are disturbing. Right, it's the challenge, I think, for us as Christians, and, and if you've, you've probably read what we refer to as the Beatitudes plenty of times, right? This little passage in Luke, and it's a little bit bigger in, in Matthew, where Jesus stops and begins to preach, begins to teach people, and he said, blessed are you. He repeats this, you know, phrase a number of times in Matthew, four times here in Luke. Really, this is where we get our, the, the term Beatitude from, is it's from the Latin word beatus, which is if you were to read uh, this passage of scripture in Latin, that's the first word you would read, and that's where we get our word beatitude from. And that word can be translated blessed, but it can also be translated happy. Perfectly reasonable translation of happy. We, We tend, the translators of the English Bible tend to shy away from happy because it's a little bit thin. What Jesus was implying says a little bit more than just sort of our happiness, but it does imply that. In other words, what I think Jesus is introducing by using this term, it's the same in the Greek as well, by the way, Um, but what I think he's doing by introducing these terms is, is he's saying they're accompanying these things if you commit your life to these things in the way that I'm going to explain in just a little bit here. Part of what you will experience is, yes, there's kind of a commendation from God, kind of a a blessing from God, God saying, yes, well done, this is what I mean, but there's also um, an experiential aspect to it where we could, under the right conditions, actually be happy being poor, being hungry, weeping, and being hated. So what are these conditions? Well, our task today and next week is to really discover the conditions under which a person, you and I, can be happy in such states. In fact, following Jesus' lead, I'm actually going to go further, and I'm going to suggest that under the conditions that we're going to talk about, and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, active in each each of you who are following Jesus, um, each of us decide to choose one or two uh, or more and craft a New Year's resolution. Something maybe like this. I resolve to be poor this year. Or I resolve to be hungrier this year. I resolve to weep more this year. I resolve to be hated more this year. So what does this look like? How does this work? Um, I'm going to take the first two today, and then I'm actually, and then I'll take the, the remainder next week. But I'm actually going to do a, uh, a review of the first two next week as well. I'm kind of telling you this because, because I feel like when we address the Beatitudes, this section of Scripture, and we come in contact with things like this, 
it disturbs us to the point where sometimes what we do with this piece of scripture is we read it and then we just kind of whip right past it. We go, yeah, yeah, okay, that's great. That sounds nice. It's kind of poetic and it sounds great, but let's move on to the next thing. We don't really settle with it. We don't really wrestle with it sometimes. Is Jesus really asking us to be poor, to be hungry? What does he mean by this? Because these are challenging things, especially for us in Victoria, especially for us in the Western world, where it seems we, we like we have so much at our fingertips. Well, again, let me just state the risk of stating the uh, obvious. These four statements, these four states, poverty, hun- hunger, weeping, and hatred are extremely disturbing. They disturb our minds because they challenge the prevailing point that a view that seems to prefer to find our satisfaction in the material. I know myself, I don't like to think about them, much less to try to apply them to my own life. I mean, I would prefer it if Jesus had said something like this. Blessed are those who are comfortable, who on occasion help those less fortunate. Or something like this. Um, Blessed are those who pray and fast once in a while when the time is suitable. (laughs) I, I could imagine embracing those beatitudes pretty readily. I suspect that I might not be alone in this desire. In fact, for a long time, I think the Christian church has been kind of ebbing and flowing in relation to these sorts of challenges from Jesus, these so-called hard sayings of Jesus. For example, in the mid-19th century, a a pretty radical follower of Jesus named Soren Kierkegaard openly and frequently criticized the church for transforming Christian teaching into something that maybe resonates with us today, Uh, something that is cheap Convenient and comfortable. It's easy to do. And that's why. But one of the best ways I know to help each other in this is to be intentional, right? Is to look at these things and actively, intentionally engage them. And so that's what I want us to do over the next two Sundays. To make plans and to be accountable. Right, because it's relatively traditional this time of year, right at the beginning, to begin to think big thoughts about our lives, right? To make some plans, to make some ideas. And we all, or from time to time, we like to make plans and be intentional with our lives. Maybe we want to eat less sweets or maybe we want to exercise more. And we, we think this way and we make these kind of plans to help us to, to be more happy, right? To sort of live a better life. Resolutions are decisions that we make uh, that kind of sound like promises to ourselves uh, that one or two areas of our life need adjustment. This morning I want to suggest, and sometimes we kind of waver when it comes to this idea of resolutions, right? Because all of us have made these sorts of things and probably like me, all of us have failed to follow through, right? Throughout the year. And so we shy away. We say, maybe let's not make resolutions. Maybe let's just have good intentions or something like this. But I want to suggest this morning that I think the idea of resolutions, making resolutions, the whole activity around resolutions actually has some Christian characteristics, right? Because essentially what they do is they ask us to remember our purpose, right? These big things about our lives. Why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we living? Uh, how, are we, how are we going to accomplish what we want? 
to, to look at this big picture, to assess our life in light of that purpose, and then, and then determine to live more in line with that purpose than before. Right? That sounds very Christian to me. And in fact, in his leader, letter to the Philippians, Paul demonstrate, demonstrates this kind of activity. He writes this, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the, towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be of the same mind, and if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Right? So here's Paul demonstrating these sorts of things. Right? This sort of thinking, right? He's got this goal... The upward call of Christ Jesus, right? To know the resurrection, the power of his resurrection and his suffering. These kinds of big thoughts. And then he takes, he looks at his life and he says, no, I haven't made it there yet. I'm not there quite yet, but I'm going to press on. This sort of thinking is, is, um, reflects, I think, part of the gospel, right? That God has made us for a purpose, that God invites us into that purpose, and we are to live through that purpose, but it, it doesn't always just happen. It takes in, uh, us to be intentional. So I, I'm, I'm going to suggest that we take Paul as our example and let's prepare ourselves to make at least one near, New Year's resolution to be happy like Jesus defines happiness in 2022. So to set the stage for us to be able to handle the Beatitudes properly, I'm going to relate three topics together. These are the three here. The Beatitudes, right? Those statements of Jesus that that we read, that Phil read for us earlier. I'm going to refer back to Advent, talk about Advent. Yes, Advent and the kingdom of God. Because I think all of these three things we need to keep in mind when we make our decisions, when, when we, when we, especially when we read through and study the, the Beatitudes, right? How do they fit in? Do they relate to me now? And how does this all work? So let's start by looking at the implication of Advent. For the Christ follower, Christmas, right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about, about uh, Christmas and Christmas time again to get a running start into, uh, into the Beatitudes here. Christmas is specifically, uh, specifically the character of Advent is a time to remember that there is a hesitation, a pause worked into the relational dynamic b- between humanity and God. During Christmas, we often read and celebrate passages in the Bible. You know this one, like Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, right? We've heard this verse. We've, we've read this verse, and we celebrate this verse at Christmas time, right? This passage helps us to see that God has a plan as, and is intentional about how he deals with his world. And at Christmas, we celebrate that this promise ultimately applies to a child who is none other than Jesus, and we receive Jesus as a gift. But when we do that, we might forget, just for a moment, we might forget that there was a time when this was not the case, that Jesus had not yet come. When this promise was, was given, these words were written, but Jesus had not yet been born. And so, 
what happened? What did these people who originally heard this promise, heard this intention of God to do, what, did they, what were they required to do until it happened? Generation after generation for about 700 years, what did they have to do? They had to wait. Right? They had to wait. And so we then turn at Christmas time to the fulfillment of this promise of God. We say we no longer have to wait for this part. We no longer have to wait for this child to be born. This one who would be a wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, all of these characteristics, all of these things being true. Because there he is. He's born. And just like Anna and Simeon, those who, who saw the salvation of God, we can celebrate that and we do celebrate that at Christmas time. And we need to. But for us here and now in 2022, it's going to take a while to get used to saying that, it resonates more with us. And as Barton shared with us, reminded of us, uh, reminded us uh, on uh, Christmas Eve, right? This little baby was born to be a king like no other. There's more to the story, right? And you've, you've heard this, right? And so the birth of Jesus reminds us that there's more to the story. So it, it resonates or it reminds us of words of, for instance, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, who wrote things like this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, right? This baby grew up, he taught, he lived, he performed miracles, but then he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And then Paul continues and said, then comes the end when he, Jesus, this little baby that we celebrate at Christmas, hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power. And he concludes by saying, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, if you've been around Christian teaching for a while, you've heard all of this. And we celebrated this as part of that, that birth narrative. It has become um, part of that for us, right? So we don't just celebrate the birth and the, the revelation of this promise of God, but we celebrate everything else that, that that little baby accomplished in his life. And even afterwards. But there is more to the story. Right? So that baby who was born in the manger that we've just finished celebrating, that baby grew up and he began teaching and eventually he sacrificed himself for all of humanity, dying on the cross. He remained dead for three days and then rose from the grave, appearing to many for a period of 40 days. At the end, he gathered his closest followers together for one last commissioning. And then he ascended before their eyes into the clouds. The Bible explains that now Jesus mediates the promise of God that one day, one day, here this is, he will return to reveal what has taken place. Jesus has achieved victory over sin and death on behalf of humanity and is now turning rule over to God. The key here for us to understand at this point in 2022 is that though it has not been finally revealed, that is Jesus coming again to declare final victory over sin, the devil, and death, Though it's not been finally revealed, we have been empowered to live as if it has. There is a tension. For now, we await, here's that word, await the final revelation. This here now, 2022, this year, is part of our advent, our waiting period for Jesus to come again. 
So how do we wait well? How do we honor God as we await this? So we don't just celebrate Advent and Christmas. We continue to live out our Advent period until the rule of God is ultimately and finally revealed. So then, what is the rule of God? We come to our next topic. The rule of God, the kingdom of God. In his last message, last week, Phil took us to Deuteronomy 4 to help us remember the privilege. And as Phil explained, one of the great privileges that the Israelites had was the privilege of nearness. God Almighty drawing near to his people. That is a privilege. So let me pick up on that, because as I understand it, this desire of God, this movement of God, to be close to his creation forms what I consider the heart of his kingdom, the sort of the beating heart of, the, of his kingdom that could be traced throughout scripture and kind of repeated, and it's repeated actually as a kind of model to help us remember it. So, so let me quickly run through this. The first direct instance of this is found in Exodus. Recall, those of you who know the story, there's a time in the experience of the people of Israel when God miraculously frees them his people out of slavery under the rule of the Egyptians. And what, God, what does God say is the purpose of his salvation? We read it in the message that Moses is to pass on to the Israelites uh, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. He says this. God says to Moses, Say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord, I will free you from the burden of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, catch this. Here's what he says. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of Egypt. I will take you as my people, and, you will be, and I will be your God. That, I think, I'm convinced, is kind of the motto of the kingdom, the motto of the movement, the energy of the kingdom. This is God's desire from the beginning. The prophet Jeremiah repeats this exact, almost exact words on three different occasions. As does Ezekiel, he does once. And then Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he looks back to the prophetic words of Isaiah, um, and he names Mary's child. We've just celebrated this, right? What does... What does Matthew name Mary's child? He names him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, right? Do you start to see this theme here that's emerging from the very beginning all the way through? God with us. And then uh, Phil also alerted us to the wording of the Gospel of John in the first chapter that explains that Jesus, the divine Logos, that baby in the manger that we're celebrating, the divine Logos, the underlying principle throughout all of created reality, that divine Logos became flesh and lived or dwelt or tabernacled, how? Among us, with us. Right? And you recall, those of you uh, who know, that the, the tabernacle was the temporary structure in which the people of Israel worshipped God while they waited for the permanent structure. It goes on, the Bible goes on. Paul describes the church as the body of Christ, indicating an intimate interrelatedness between us and Christ, who is the head of that body, and the Holy Spirit, who energizes the body from inside each part. How does he form that intimacy? How does he bring those who are far close? How does he rescue us from the kingdom of darkness? Pardon? He adopts us, right? That movement of, of, uh, of estranged 
to now close to intimacy. The move of the kingdom is constantly from broken relationships to intimate relationships. Then now get this. How does John conclude his great revelatory apocalypse? He describes this unimaginable sense scene of a new heaven and a new earth in the holy city coming down from heaven to earth. And then John, he hears this announcement made declaring in a loud voice, see the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. That's the final vision that we're left with in Scripture, that God will be with them. This is the move from the very beginning of Scripture all the way through. We get a scene in the Garden of Eden with God being intimate with Adam and Eve, and then at the end it's accomplished, it's finalized with this God coming down and reestablishing this withness. This is the movement of the kingdom. God and his people brought together. From first to last, God moves towards his kingdom, especially humanity, his creation, sorry, especially humanity. So this is how this fits together, right? This is that big purpose. This is what lies ahead of us. This is why when we, when we approach a piece of scripture like the Beatitudes, like these verses in Luke, we have to keep in mind these two things, right? Keep in mind this tension between these two things. This waiting period that we're in, right? Sometimes it doesn't look like it, but it's, it's on the way. It's inevitable. It's coming, just like God's kept all his other promises. One day Jesus will return and reveal all that he's done and set up his kingdom and his rule will be finalized uh, because that's the nature of the kingdom. That's God's promise to us, his people, and to all those who follow. So we keep these two things in mind. Uh, That helps us, I think, to understand the nature of the Beatitudes, that we can now better appreciate and hopefully apply the Beatitudes. So how do we live well? while we wait for the kingdom? How can we be happy while we wait for the kingdom? So let me start off by just uh, uh, quickly addressing the first two as a way to kind of summarize here, and then I'll address them uh, more deeply next week. So first of all, the advent, the kingdom, and poverty. Initially, it looks like Jesus is pretty clear on this, right? In this passage in Luke, he says, blessed or happy are the poor, And then later in that passage we read, he says, woe to you who are rich. So what else can we conclude, right? It seems obvious. Well, let me be clear on two points. First, we do have to come to terms with, we have to recognize that the poor are front and center in God's uh, God's attention. Just like he does with his account of the early church in the book of Acts, Luke establishes his his account of the life of Jesus, or the book of Luke, on a key theme. The theme for the gospel of Luke is found in the text for Jesus' first sermon. You you recall, in chapter 4, Jesus returns to Nazareth after being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and reads the following words from Isaiah. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the, uh, of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then you remember, right, he, he closes the book and he says, or he rolls up the scroll and he says, uh, this promise has been fulfilled in your midst. 
The rest of the Gospel of Luke is essentially a running commentary, a running description of God, of Jesus under the anointing of the Spirit, bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, letting the oppressed go free, and altogether proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And again, you might recall the words uh, of Jesus to the messengers of John the Baptist. Remember this? This section of scripture where John the Baptist is in prison and he's starting to doubt his, his role, doubt his, his following of Jesus. And he sends his friends or his followers to Jesus saying, are you the one? What does, what does uh, Jesus say? He says, go and tell John that you hear what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. God sees the poor and wants them to know the good news that the salvation of creation is not initially material. The reason the poor are so important to God is that they already know they need help. This is at the heart of biblical poverty. However, As I'll point out shortly, it is not a question of possessions. The poor are not blessed by God by virtue of the material poverty. Otherwise, Jesus would have, for example, chastised Zacchaeus for offering to give half of his possessions to the poor. Right? Jesus could have looked at Zacchaeus and said, only half? No, no, you've got to give everything. But he didn't. No, one of the indications of following Christ is the desire to help alleviate poverty wherever, in whatever way possible. So first, um, the poor are front and center at God's attention. And second, money itself is not the problem. It is our relationship to money that matters to God. As Paul explains it to Timothy, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So there's the tension. It's not money or material possessions themselves. It's how the, it's the kind of hold that they have. It's kind of attraction that they hold for us. And this is why Jesus could sort of compare. Jesus takes money or wealth and compares it to the role God is supposed to have. You can only serve two masters, Jesus says, God or wealth. That's how much potential power and influence that our wealth has over us. And Jesus wants to warn us against that, against the, um, the attraction and get the, the, uh, the, the power that it plays in our lives and the role it potentially has. So I don't mean to imply that God's ideal is that we all have access to the same amount of wealth. That's not his answer. In fact, I think God has gifted some of us to be good at making money for the purposes of his kingdom. Jesus tells parables that indicate that there are those, for example, that are given five talents and some are given less. The question is, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing with the resources to which we have been given access? It is possible that wealth and the striving after it have have become so consuming for some of us that it distracts us from following Jesus. And this is his warning. This is why Jesus says you're happier in the kingdom, in the kingdom mentality, as you wait for the kingdom to come finally, to become more poor, to become poor. So let me encourage encourage us this this morning under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to decide that this year... I resolve to become a little bit poor. The application of this resolution could take two forms according to Scripture. The first is material, right? 
Luke, that's Luke's take on it. He doesn't qualify poor. He just says, blessed are the poor. It could be that you are becoming, that we, that we some of us here, are becoming aware that, that our wealth, that, our, that the pursuit of wealth is inhibiting our relationship with God. If so, keeping the big picture in mind, the joy that awaits us, that is worth giving up everything for the kingdom of God, it may be necessary to loosen our grip on our wealth a little bit this year. Now, I say a bit on purpose. Because for most of us, God generally works little by little. Occasionally, the Spirit of God provokes individuals in dramatic ways. Right? Jesus recommended to the rich young man to give up all he had, to give up all he had to the poor and then follow him. Again, he didn't say that to someone like Zacchaeus or Matthew, as far as I can tell, or any other individual who faced temptations or the challenge of wealth. Jesus allowed the Spirit to be the agent of application. But there's another way to be poor this year. And we see this possibility in Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5.3, we read, Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, or sorry, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See that? The Beatitudes put in the context of the rule of God. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, I've already kind of mentioned it. It means that we recognize, that we acknowledge and trust that our help ultimately comes from God. Here's the thing. Many of us would acknowledge this, but over time, maybe our lives have stopped demonstrating it. We have allowed our standards as followers of Jesus to become influenced by the world. Somewhere along the line, we've softened God's standards for our lives. We no longer attempt to do everything for his glory or season with grace every word that we speak or only think about the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, and the rest of the characteristics suggested by Paul in Philippians. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't actually seek first God's kingdom in our lives anymore. How can we make this right? Well, this year I resolved to be a little bit more generous. So this is the positive way. This is the positive side of uh, resolve to becoming more poor or poorer this year. Instead, resolve to be more generous, more generous with our material possessions, with our time, with our energy to help others see in our actions that we value the coming rule of God more than anything else and that it is worth the wait. That's Advent, the kingdom, and hunger. Now, let me briefly touch on, uh, or sorry, poor. This is, uh, let me briefly touch on Advent, the kingdom, and hunger. Again, physical hunger can remind us to seek God's provision and grace. In addition, though, Matthew once again provides us with further insight when he writes, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst, what? For righteousness for they will be filled. So the question for us to deal with briefly here, in just a moment or two, is what is righteousness? Well, two things. I think we need to keep two things in mind. First, it is part of the grace of God that comes to us through Jesus. The result of Jesus' perfect obedience are transferred to us as righteous when we surrender our lives to him. That cleans our slate. The second part to righteousness, however, is our response. The righteousness of Christ is not just some kind of badge we receive, but it's an empowerment to follow Christ. And following Christ is basically mimicking him. Aligning our life 
to his. Or to put it another way, we receive and need the righteousness of Christ to become righteous. And our response is that is to then live righteously. So, another question, how do we find out what living righteously looks like? Well, Jesus tells us that as well. In order to be properly hungry, we've got to eat better. And what do followers of Jesus eat? What does Jesus say when he's tempted by the devil? One does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is where we get our nutrition. Again, over the course of time, not really intentionally, maybe little by little, some of us have lost touch with God's word or a desire to know more of God's word. The scriptures that he's inspired for us and the direction of the Holy Spirit based on those scriptures. If so, I suggest that you decide this year. I resolve to become a little bit hungrier. And we become a little bit hungrier by resolving to eat better. And how do we eat better? We need to live like Christ on the basis of his word. To live like Christ, to recognize the righteousness, to reflect the righteousness, to respond to that righteousness, and to be fed by God's word that helps direct us in how to live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian, explained the relationship between waiting God's rule and how to be blessed or happy this way. I've got it here on the slide. Not everyone can wait, he writes. Neither the sated nor the satisfied, nor those without respect can wait. The only ones who can wait are people who carry restlessness around with them. People who look up with reverence to the greatness, uh, greatest in the world. Thus, Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace who know that they are poor and incomplete and who's, who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines, him, inclines himself towards us, the Holy One himself, God in the child in the manger. Takes us right back to Christmas, right? If we look for our fulfillment from the world, we cannot properly wait for God's rule. This is the deep challenge of especially the first two of uh, the Beatitudes that Jesus offers. If we look for our fulfillment from the word, we cannot properly wait for God's rule. If, however, we are restless and are looking forward to that rule, we can wait well. We can give up. We can be generous. We can eat better. We can be righteous. We can live righteously. Sometimes we need to be intentionally restless or intentionally disturbed to remind us of what ultimately matters. Let us anticipate the greatness that is supposed to come this year in 2022 by being more generous and eating better this year. Would you join me in that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge that we still have in Jesus' words to this day. Father, I pray for each of us who are hearing these words that, God, you would help us to wrestle with this. These are not easy. This is not easy to talk about. This is not e easy for me to think about in my own life. This is a challenge, God, because it seems to go against. As Jesus understood at the very beginning and as you understand 
it goes against what we kind of see in front of us all the time. We look at our social media and we see people who seem to be happy, you know, traveling and, you know, becoming fit and wearing good clothes and all these sorts of things. And so we're constantly challenged by these images. And and we're constantly looking at other people in our lives. We go, "They, they seem to be enjoying more. Maybe I need to do what they're doing. And yet we've got Jesus whispering these shocking, disturbing words and saying, that's not the right way to look. In fact, the things that I value are poverty in spirit, hungering for righteousness, seeking first the kingdom that is to come. Father, we need you. Father, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your strength to empower us, to make this real in our lives, to show the world around us that indeed following you, trusting you is the best way to go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.